It's back, ladies and gents, midweek footy. Fear not, you'll not have to watch another episode of Piss Poor Reality TV because the world's best reality TV show is back on the airs and that's AFL Footy. And with me to break down all the tears, the fears, the dreams and the scenes is the punter's prophet himself, Big Bustling Baz. How you doing, mate? It's nice and cheery to see you with the sunlight on a Tuesday afternoon. It's a lovely day. It's a bit chilly outside, you think, after my walk this morning, but still a lovely day. I'm going to go for a run after this, which will be lovely, but... uh... Yeah, it's all good. And I don't know about the punters' profit. I had a shocker last week. I know tipping three. So um, my up and down season continues. Everyone's an up and down season, mate. It keeps the people interested in the the narrative that is which tips do will win the what are the odds tipping competition. And it's back to even Stephen, basically. So watch yeah, this space. But anyway, there's a few few things we'll talk about, I reckon, uh, in this episode, I'm, I'm just flicking through the run sheet now and I can see a few little things that might get me going. So. Lovely. Now it's all out you know. What just happened, our first regular segment, the big wins and bad beats of round 14. And this week, Baz, we're going to play a game. The game is called On the Money or Off the Ball with uh, all the important games. We're going to skip the Port Adelaide-Sydney one because I went basically to schedule. So On the Money or Off the Ball, Essendon 13-9-87, defeated Hawthorne 10-11-71. And does that mean that the Essendon Bombers are funnels bound? Uh, no, it doesn't. So I know a uh, lot on this pod I talk about predicted scores. I like, that, I like those stats. And I also talk about how... Uh, Teams are efficient going inside 50 and how efficient they are def- defending every inside, uh, inside 50 they allow. So I believe those are the key stats along with where teams score from that you can get a good read on how good teams are. And uh, I've spoken a lot this year about um, Essendon and how they've been lucky to win some games, especially earlier in the year when they were, I think they were three and zip or something like that, mm-hmm. four and zip, um, when they probably didn't deserve to win those games and – we go back to that predictive score score system and we go back to that predictive score ladder, which because we don't get access to predictive score, we don't have champion data, we don't have access to it, but we have other means of trying to find that out. But I actually haven't seen an expected ladder using the predictive score yet this year until Sunday night when uh, old mate King got it out for us. Guess how many wins Essendon would have had it going by my... my like stats and my expected ladder with the expected scoring. Uh, considering they've played a lot of those close games, they've probably been blown out in most of those. So I'm going to say four wins for the year. Yep, they would have had four wins. And on the weekend was another one where at halftime, if you went by expected scores, Hawthorne should have been up by 10 goals. Mm. So how Essendon lost that, won that, sorry, was beyond belief. Their game style changes week in, week out. They just need to simplify it a bit down there, right? And he wants them to play a certain game style. But I think uh, Lloyd said it best last night. Sometimes the game style you want them to play does not suit your team. So you need to source a game style that suits your team. And I think he needs to realise that. And, yeah, and for me, I don't think they're for finals bound. I think they're not still not very, very good. Um, and we might win tonight, and we'll get to that a bit later to about West Coast. But, yeah, I think... What we saw on, uh, was it Wednesday last week or Thursday last week, whenever, whatever day it was when these two teams played, that they're both very ordinary teams. And um, Essen won the game just by, A, coming out after halftime, playing more direct, less handball, and Danaher put on a show and got him going. So 
Part of me is like, what happened at halftime? Did the Essendon coaching staff just say, just go and play the football you want to play? Because that's what it felt like. It felt like all year they've been fighting this slow style football and then trying to play chaos football. And then eventually they just played what has been Essendon football for the last couple of years, which is that flowing right. transition yeah. style football. So yeah. Did he just go, well, that kind of worked last year. Let's do that again. I've had the feeling, and I don't know because I'm not on the, in the inside or anything, but I get the feeling watching the, the, them lately and watching the press conferences and how they all speak through the media because I reckon you can get a good gauge, especially if you're good at reading body language and how people talk and their subliminal, subliminal messaging. I reckon it's been a bit of a... Um, but Wush has obviously stepped back and let Rutten and, and Carousel take over. And you saw their methodical, um, slow game style for a couple of weeks where they tried to possess the ball and they weren't good enough. And in the last two weeks, three weeks, they went real handball happy and like putting themselves under pressure and not moving the ball forward at all. And, not, you know, players getting 30 touches and having like 10 metres game for the game because they're just trying to handball all the time. I reckon at half time they were just getting smashed. And I have a feeling they, they got together and Wusher, who's known for that sort of attacking game style that he showed the last few years, has just gone, let the boys play footy. Or someone said that and they've walked out and gone, look, we've got we've got a good bloody key target down there in Danaher. Um, we've got Stringer and a few others. Let's just go out there, attack the ball, hunt the footy. Their pressure went up that we haven't seen for a long, long time as well. And they started kicking the ball more. And they went forward with the ball and not try to, you know, piss fight around with it a bit. So, and Hawthorne then got exposed defensively because they didn't have the defensive players. They were missing a bit of um, experience because they decided to rest them for this game against Adelaide and they got exposed. And Hawthorne, in the end, paid for not taking the most of their opportunities earlier in the game. And even later in the game, they had opportunities to win the game, but they just couldn't capitalise on them. So, um. Yeah, it was a good move putting Hooker up forward because it gave him another target as well. And there was no matchup for him down back because Patton went off injured. So that probably didn't help Hawthorne either. But they should have they should have won. They should have been up by ten goals at half time, Hawthorne. They've had a very, very odd year. They've had it they've had an inconceivably odd year. I mean so many easy shots they missed and just you just looked at it and went, Wow, how are they not by more? Then after half time you saw Esther and start getting a few goals, you're like Surely this can't happen. They're six goals down, but they did. And it was just, it was absolutely baffling. And deeply, deeply frustrating. All right, second one is an either or, Baz. Richmond 14 488 defeated West Coast 9 7 61. Are Richmond either the current Premier's elect or are West Coast just a very easy team to coach against? Well, we spoke about this a lot last week with West Coast and, um, they need things to go their way. They need it on their terms for them to win games. And if they can do that, then, you know, they go a long way to winning games. And, you know, we saw McGovern didn't have the dominance because Richmond made it a grand ball game. And um, actually, the West Coast weren't too bad at the grand ball on the weekend, but they still got smashed everywhere else. So, and their clearances, they they, they still won that, but they didn't score a lot from it. Um Richmond didn't allow their kick mark game. There's a lot of things that Richmond did very, very well against West Coast. But again, we go back to that ladder and that expected score stuff. And we spoke about this a lot in detail last week of how West Coast have been very, very accurate in front of goal and kicking above what what they're meant to be kicking each game. Um, and Richmond have been around par. Well, guess what West Coast didn't have on the weekend? They didn't kick accurately as expected. And if you had, you know, West Coast, if they, with their predicted score ladder, which again, like I know this was on... Uh, 
the last crack, but we do talk a lot about ex- expected scores and stuff like that. Um, West Coast actually seventh on the ladder. Mm. So, again, if you go back to last week's probably we spoke about how they're 11% above average and how they've been killing it. And you actually floated that they're going to, at some point, drop back to the to the average. Well, maybe they're starting to drop back to the average after last week. And we already know their issues in Harbour Life. And uh, I'll tell you what, their game against Essendon this week is going to be very, very interesting to see how they, how they you know, get up and about and if they do play well because... Geez, questions will be asked if Essendon knock them off. And as for Richmond, they just keep doing what they got to do. So I'm still not sold on Richmond. Yeah, they're playing great footy. Don't get me wrong, but I'm still I still think they got some deficiencies. And again, it was highlighted last week when you know Grimes went off and, and like, Liam Ryan played full, at full forward, and he, he almost if he had he had to hang on to a few of those marks, and he had a, an almost game Liam Ryan. And I still think you defensively, if you look at who's been kicking goals against you. When Bolter has a big t- key forward, they've kicked goals. And there's been a few little small forwards that have kicked goals against you as well. So I think there's still a deficiency down back for mine. I know you, you might get Asprey back and you might get Grimes back in a couple of weeks, but um, I still think there's a few flaws in that in that defensive 50 for you guys. So if a team can get enough in there, which enough supply, which teams have beaten you have, then, um, yeah, put you up against it. So, but yeah, I... Tigers still flying, keep good, good, good on them. They keep going and uh, they keep winning, even though I found out a lot more and uh, Caroline Wilson exposed a lot more last night on Footy Classified. There's been a bit more about it today, about the whole saga with the Cochins and uh, the fact that you're still able to play good footy like Cochin is and the club's able to keep going shows that uh, you're, all you worry about is on field. That's a nice little drive-by by you there, mate. Um, it is interesting to see that I think – Richmond are great against teams that are one-dimensional, and as you mentioned there, so when when West Coast changes up and go more to Ryan as opposed to their talls, then Richmond Richmond suffers. But they're they're a super coachable team, and that's been their their biggest strength and probably their greatest weakness is that they're not, in my opinion, a huge X factor team. They have a lot. They have a couple of couple of A graders, a couple of superstars, and then the rest are role players. And I know Richmond fans get upset if I say that, but if you look at it on paper, that's kind of the truth. But what they do really well is they go, what's West Coast good at? Kick mark games and intercept marking. If we halve the intercepts going inside our forward 50 and we make sure they can't play a kick mark game, we'll beat West Coast and they beat West Coast. So they're smart and they're good enough. So come finals, if you're smart and you're good enough, you're going to win more than you lose. And that's what they've done for the last couple of years. So I'm still bullish about the Tigers, but I think coming deeper into the season against the likes of a, of a Brisbane Lions or a Port Adelaide, or a Geelong who's also smart but probably has more superstars, again, only in my opinion, that's where they'll struggle. And I've sold all my stock on West Coast because that kind of proved it. As soon as they don't kick clutch goals, like we said last week, they lose. So this week will be interesting against the Bombers. Speaking of Geelong, Geelong 10-12-72 against the Doggies 9-7-61. Baz, my big question to you is will Geelong's game plan hold up in finals? Yeah, I just don't think they... The Doggies' game style is good to watch. It's great. It's exciting. It's attacking. It's free-flowing footy. But um, if you don't put pressure on them, they'll cut you to pieces. But if you can apply high-level pressure, especially around the contest and with their handball-happy sort of out-of-a-stoppage situation, then they almost they, – they can't move the footy. So we, we've seen it a couple of times this year where – 
teams have been able to stifle that for the Dogs and they've struggled to score in games um, and they've struggled to get the ball forward. And, uh, you know, early on, that, that was so clinical and so good because Geelong didn't really rock up and didn't really put that heat on. But as soon as Geelong turned up the pressure and the pressure rating went up from Geelong, Western Bulldogs, you know, struggled to move the ball and struggled to score again. And Geelong went the other way. They were just able to keep opening up uh, the doggies. You know, the amount of times I got the ball at the back and, you know, there's a few uh, plays by Grian Myers and a few others late, you know, late in that third quarter and last quarter where they should have really scored goals and probably won by more. So, yeah, look, it's also interesting about the ruck at um, the Doggies, Tim English, and it's been a bit of a narrative over the weekend as well. Like, why is he at a stoppage and not the ruck, not the ruck when you're letting Dunkley take it? Just, it just seems absolutely baffling that he's expected to run with a midfielder at a stoppage while... Dunkley's taken, you know, he's probably your best inside mid. And we saw Hawkins again, like I spoke about last, I think last week we had four about Hawkins grabbing the boy out of the ruck inside 50 and how dangerous he is at setting up goals from as a ruckman inside 50. He's just so much smarter than most ruckmen. <laughs> but he had Dunkley at times and he probably set up two or three goals or he could have kicked, I think there was definitely one he missed. Like the grab and smash, I think, uh, I can't remember who it is on on Fox Footy who loves it, but it might have been might be Kingy. It might be one thing I agree with Kingy. Um, the grab and smash, but yeah, it's, it just seems baffling that the doggies are going that way, and they're they're done. I reckon, or definitely done now. The doggies like there's no way they're going to make finals. I don't think their game plan is sustainable either. So it'll win games. Don't be wrong, but it, it's where they've been since they've won the flag for a reason. Um, and for Geelong, well, we know how good they are. They've got Gary Abbott to come back. Uh, Salwood to come back. They're just well organised, well coached. Scott has got them going on all cylinders, and uh, I don't see much of an issue for them at the moment until finals, and we'll see where they're where they're at, where they've been for the last few years. You know, they've they talk, they've been, it's been talked about a lot that you know Dangerfield and a few others like they want this last hurrah for Ablett and all that sort of stuff. I just wonder whether uh, all that talk might get to them come finals and put that extra bit of expectation and pressure on them. Um, because they've been there a fair few times and they've got so close but never quite there, not even the grand final. So I wonder whether that that pressure and that sort of stuff might play in their head a bit come come the end of the year. But for me, I still think they're probably almost, probably apart from Port, probably fit premiership favourites for mm. mine. My question or takeaway from this game is that is Chris Scott talking to his players post-game being like, this is a great win to turn around a situation that we didn't want to be in? Or are they saying that's the one we got away with and we can't get into that situation again. He'd be just saying we need to make sure we turn up 100% because I think they did that against Adelaide as well. They kind of rocked up, kind of foot off like going through the motions. And they haven't really rested any players. You know, he's flipped around, you know, certain players from their positions. But um, I just think, you just, I think it's just, it just sells that message. We've got to be – doesn't matter who we're playing. We need to be at 100% ready to go from, from the first bounce kind of thing because – I mean, we've seen it all through the year. It doesn't matter what team you play. If you don't rock up ready to play, you're going to find yourself in a bit of strife. And it just depends on who you're playing, whether you can come back from that. Like if you're playing against Adelaide or Freo, um, Adelaide, sorry, or North, you can probably bounce back. Even Hawthorne was just sort of seen there and Carlton because they keep allowing goals. But um, Yeah, against yeah. a half-decent side, you're going to struggle most of the time, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And it you know, we, I'll, I'll go back to the expected ladder and Geelong and Port Adelaide are top two on the expected ladder and they're top two on the real ladder. And that's, I think it's it's more indicative of where they're at for this season. I think you get a truer read from the expected ladder because, like I said, you, 
it's the whole year and it's their expected scores versus, you know, what might have happened on that game. You know, we'll probably get to St Kilda and uh, Melbourne soon and we'll talk about that there, but yeah. So briefly before we get to that one, GDOS 14-7-91 defeated Fremantle 8-5-53. Everyone's forgotten about the Giants now because we all wrote them off because they were playing piss poor footy, to be totally frank, but is good Giants a grand final side? No, it's not because it's very um, – a bit front-running, but <laughs> – I just I, GWS played pretty well. Don't get me wrong. They were, they played a different style. What the CM do? They got much higher and got it over the back with their speed. And um, you know, Whitfield played an awesome game across half back. But you know, we spoke about um, trusting Freo a lot this year, and Gold Coast are in that same boat. But Freo looked really tired and really flat. Um, and we saw that probably from Gold Coast against Carlton the other week. And maybe they just hit a flat spot, Freo. Um, Fife had very little impact in the game as well, held by DeBoer. Um, I just reckon they, looked, they just looked off for her and that, that probably, I reckon that flatters GWS a bit because I don't reckon the hunt and that desire and that defensive setup and that defensive unit we've seen from Freire the last probably four to five weeks was quite there. And I was pretty disappointed actually in Freire because I thought they were going to give that a good shout. Um, and look, so going off the last four or five weeks, you would have thought, that's why I tip for her because the odds I reckon were just around the wrong way. But um, GWS did what good side did. They rocked up. And that's the first time in, what, four weeks they've rocked up as well. I know they had a pretty good second half against West Coast. But, we, yeah, we don't reckon West Coast is that good. And I still don't think GWS is that good either. And I suppose now they've got to win their last three, I think it is, to make the finals. And there's a couple of games in there that are real final eight shapers, especially the one against St Kilda. Mm. It's only, it's hard to trust them now because again, if we you can go micro and go they're back, or you can go whole season like we've been preferring to do this year and go well no like they will revert back to what they are this year, which is kind of a front running side where when things get tough they don't really show up and they get kind of scared or gun shy. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next three weeks because if I think if they if they to make finals they have to win basically as you said all their games, which means then their form size becomes quite substantial and you can go well. Of the back of five, you can go there back. So if they get in there, they'll be dangerous, but getting there I think will be the harder task for them. All right, the big one, Baz. Melbourne, 8-4, defeated St Kilda, 7-7-49. Is St Kilda our newly crowned club going into the cone of shame? No, this team's since the Geelong game where Geelong put extra numbers behind the footy and said try scoring at the back, you haven't got a key forward unless Marshall has an outlandish game. They haven't got a real big key target to kick the ball long down the line to. And we saw that's why May had an absolute field day. And we've seen it by from a few other players throughout the last few weeks play against St Kilda. They've had that intercept marker who's had a field day because, you know, King is is going to be a superstar, a good player. He's probably a year off strength-wise and he keeps getting his hands to the ball but it's not quite clunking him. And... He just got out positioned a fair few times and because Mayo was just bigger and stronger, that was the only thing. But you can't you can't have one way, I mean, to score. And as soon as teams put numbers behind the footy, it made it harder for St Kilda. And they kept bombing it in, which didn't help. They needed to either, you know, possess the ball a bit more across the 50-meter arc and try and switch it to change the fat side up. Um, or try and use the hit-ups more often and, and make Melbourne much more accountable because all the Melbourne players started doing them was just sagging off because it just got so predictable and it just stopped working and security and adjust. But if you, again, 
you go through to or if you did not look at the scores and you looked at the stats for the game and even the predictive score had uh, St Kilda winning by four goals or three goals like I think uh, Melbourne should have only scored 39 points mm. um, then you look at that and go oh yeah St Kilda won that game and if you watched it you'd go how have St Kilda not won this game both teams turned the footy over a lot it was a lot of butchering of the footy but they just weren't able to get over the line they, again missed easy shots they allowed easy goals and Petraka was probably the difference and geez there's been a lot of talk about Petraka I, I wonder now because I don't reckon a lot of clubs have put a lot of time and effort into Petraka because I reckon they can just they just know they can beat Melbourne yeah especially the top end clubs um they carve against a fair few sides over the next couple of weeks that will want to put time into into the tracker, I reckon. And I, I, I want to see how Melbourne handle it when Truck isn't kicking goals or setting up goals. Because he's pretty much been their difference mm. for some of their wins. And, um, you know, Oliver doesn't really hurt you. Viney doesn't really hurt you. Uh, Gorn, you know, sits behind the footy, so he's not going to hurt you. So how is how are they going to go when their main damaging player through the midfield is being held? So you see Dusty get held sometimes and but Richmond have other players that step up. You know, even when Collingwood, without the goal, we've been a bit, you know, a bit stringent, like not as good going forward and through the midfield as well. Obviously, we put Elliott in through the midfield, but that, that takes away something from our forward line, which we've been exposed with. So you just to see what clubs do with the upper trucker. To go back to St. Kilda just a little bit there, so obviously they just have this one tactic to score goals and we've been caught in between our analysis all year between do we write a team off because they don't have a plan B or do you just say the team with the best plan A wins? Is this almost a move from Ratten to be like, this is going to win us a premiership in two, three years' time, so let's just keep hitting up King. Let's just keep trying to hit the hot spot. Let's just back in our one way and almost do like a Port Adelaide. They've played the same style for three years. This is the third one, and they're finally getting the reward for it. Are they just playing the long game and being like, and if we don't make finals this year, we don't really care. I know our fans will be upset, but it's a longer play than that. And they just stick to it each week. Or is it yeah. because is, is it's COVID and they can't train, so they can only train one method, and that's all they know how to do is to hit that hot spot? No, I think you're spot on. But, I mean, obviously it helps Port Adelaide this year. The difference between this year and the previous two years of Port Adelaide is Dixon's been playing. Mm. So you've you got that bloke doing that. And, again, um, King, you know, in another year or two, you, you know, he's going to bring those ball, the ball to ground there. But obviously they need more from their forwards though. Like they need him to be able to bring that ball to ground now or they need Marshall to bring that ball to ground or they need Membry there to bring that ball to ground. So are they missing one extra key tall? You know, is Ryder and, and Marshall the answer? I, I, I still think that they should be playing one ruck with Marshall and, and probably they needed someone else. Or, you know, they, do they change up? Like they just had to, all they had to do obviously was just start using a bit more hit-ups, which allowed, would have allowed, would have stopped um, Melbourne sagging off so much and protecting May or changed change the, the structure so that May was on memory, not Max King. Mm. Play King further up the ground and get Ma- and get memory the deeper forward. It's just things like that they probably could have done in-game, um, which would have, might have helped. But, yeah, I could definitely see uh, Ratten's long-term goal there because they definitely are more of a front-half team. Obviously, missing Carlo and a few others as well didn't help. But Not all doom and gloom for the Saints then? No, nah, but I, I reckon... Missing the finals and position they're in will do a bit of bit of headwork on a few of the boys. So it'll be interesting to see. Then two games to round out with our big calls. Collingwood, 10-12-72, defeated Carlton, 7-6-48. I 
I call him which is fine. Are you guys totally fine? Playing finals footy. We'll go deep. You're fine. We're not there, We're not there yet. We're still going to win one or two more games. Um, we're starting to play better footy, don't get me wrong. We're still missing a few. Saw Sidewater and training today at Collingwood Holden Centre, which is good. He's still going to keep fit. Um, Trelaw's probably a week or so away. Degoe's probably... I reckon they won't risk him until the first final. Um, how they reckon it's still a chance, which is unbelievable. I, I can't see him. Um, so, yeah, we, we're getting some players back, uh, which is good. Um yeah, we're, we're, we're progressing, but we're not. I don't reckon we're we're not a premiership chance. We're still probably a team you don't want to play come finals if we get things right. But I don't think we're anywhere near the top two or three, four clubs even. Um, and then just on on what Buck said and what you know, I think that uh, obviously this year puts a lot of things in perspectives. I think the old school narrative from Gary Lyon, Nick Rewalt. Um, Jonathan Brown, even Matty Lloyd and a few others about how they still feel empty because they haven't won a f- and their mates still feel empty because like they haven't won a flag. If that if that's what makes you feel empty that you haven't won a flag, then I think no wonder why mental health and and people speaking up about mental health is still a bit um, looked down upon and not spoken about much in the mainstream media because what they're saying is. Uh, like they, they agree with Buckley, but then the next point would say, oh, but they still feel empty and stuff like that. Or they know people that feel empty and haven't haven't got that missing feeling because they haven't won a flag. Well, yeah, I just don't think that works in my opinion, if you know what I mean. To put that pressure on players playing now, that the be all and end all is to win a flag and win everything at all costs, just adds to the mental health issues that players already have probably an anxiety. I think that's why Buckley was so good at talking about he, he's there to make players better humans, um, better contributors to society and all those sorts of things. And, yeah, don't get me wrong, they're there to win flags, they're there to win games of footy. But there's a whole more um, holistic sort of view um, at that club and that's probably why they've been so successful the last few years and they've all bought in and that's what Port Adelaide do as well. I know Richmond do it as well. They, they all follow the same sort of um, method, method of uh, the gem gem philosophy and uh, resilience projects and stuff like that. So I think the the language around that sort of stuff needs to change from these old school footballs. And then that, then that goes on to talk about, you know, tackling and uh, punching in the guts and that sort of stuff mm. as well, saying that you're allowed to do it. It's tougher and safer than the 80s, like Kane Corn said last night. I think that's the wrong sort of messaging to be sending. And I think we need to get better at that as a, a competition and as, as everyone in the media and, and everything like that. So yeah, it, all that stuff around, you know, if you lose, but you laugh or you, you know, you, you shake the hand of a, of a friend who plays on a different club and all that stuff being shown as weakness or not wanting it enough. Even just not wanting it enough is like the worst phrase because you don't know if they want it unless you know them and then you'll have a conversation with them. But chances are the fact that they're getting up or the fact that they're even like this year isolating from their family, from their loved ones, from their friends, going and working remotely for six weeks at a time, kind of suggests that they really want to do this still. So yeah, I think challenging anyone's anyone's uh, motivations and endeavour during this season in particular is pretty bloody piss poor. Let's move swiftly on to our midweek round bonanza, round 15 previews, six games over four days starting tonight. We've got... 
two litmus tests. Starts 8-10 West Coast are on favourites against Essendon. $3 outsiders at the Gabba. The line here is just over two goals. The over-under is 124, but these form lines are muddied. So obviously West Coast have been in great form when in, in the WA. They come across now to the other coast. They got beaten by the Tigers on the weekend. They had their kind of one-dimensional game plan ripped apart. Essendon were basically thrown into the trash can until halftime against the Hawks last week, and then they resurrected their season, apparently, to most pundits. But which angle are we looking at this week, Baz? Sure. Okay. If everything is hunky-dory... And, and things are fine. Now, I know Jamie Cripps stayed in Perth, or he went back to Perth, sorry. Um, surely, surely West Coast win this and win this easily. They've got the ruck dominance. Like, seriously, like, I reckon Nick now got a fair few free kicks this week because I, I would not be surprised, given how many emails and um, phone calls the AFL is receiving from West Coast regarding hub life and the fact that, you know, there's a few other things they're, they're complaining about. Surely they would have complained about how uh, Nick Nat just got mauled in every single um, ruck contest last week and didn't get a one free kick. So I reckon, you know, there's going to be a few frees there going his way. Um, the midfield, they're just too big and too strong. We've seen that be an issue for Essendon. Um, and then oh, I just don't know how – I know they've got a, f- a few players back, but I don't know how – I know Kennedy's not playing, but if they get enough enough in that um, enough service into that four line West Coast, their their backline Essendon, and we saw last week their 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 backline struggled to hold up against um, Hawthorne, who you know don't really have much of a four line. How are they going to hold up against West Coast, who have <laughs> their four lines a lot more dangerous than than Hawthorne's and. We saw last year when Joey Danaher came back and, you know, we all know that history says when you come back from a long-term injury layoff and you play your first um, first game back and you get through it okay, the second game is generally the worst. Hmm. And we saw that last year when he played. And also he was managing that first half a lot, um, Danaher, but he played a lot of the second half. He played nearly 95% or 96% of the second half. So... Obviously, they went in there with a the game plan of he was going to play that a lot more in that second half. Or did they just do that because they wanted to win the game at footy? And how is he going to pull up from that? So a lot of that, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens for mine with that around that sort of way. But I, I just reckon that West Coast are too good through the midfield, too good down forward. And if they get enough supply onto that four line and good supply, they're going to kick too big a score that Essendon just can't, won't be able to go with them. Yeah, And that midfield is just, in a, just absolutely bully. Um, the Essendon midfield. And it, history kind of plays out to that as well. So West Coast has enjoyed a healthy dominance over over Essendon, especially last year. Everyone will remember the elimination final. And that's because where West Coast score from is where Essendon are deficient in. They aren't a front half team. They're ranked last for forward half differentials. And in the last four rounds, they've conceded 45 points per game for innocent possessions, which is second last in the comp. West Coast basically score off intercept possessions and they play. They try and play that front half chain team. So the number one ranked um, scoring team from front half and forward 50 chains and in the last four rounds, they've generated 42 points from intercept possessions ranked third. So that is basically 
the perfect matchup for West Coast is is Essendon. And so I think they're the obvious, the tip there for mine. Friday at 7.50, Brisbane are $1.41 favourites against Collingwood, $2.84 outsiders playing at the Gabba. The line here, 13 and a half. The over-under, 118. Now, Brisbane's off the bye. Brisbane's off that challenging game against St Kilda. Apparently, Collingwood solved all their problems and they're running up sweetly. And Collingwood has the enjoyable historical advantage over the Lions. So the Lions are on a six-match losing streak against the Pies. And the last time they played at the Gabba, the Magpies won by 62 points. So Brisbane hasn't defeated Collingwood at home since 2010. Is this the year the year they do it, Baz? Oh, uh, yeah, it is, mate. Yeah. Look, I know everyone's been talking, saying we're back and all that sort of stuff and we're playing better footy, but last year when we played them and we flogged them, there was a big build-up from Brisbane. Um because they, they started the year really, really well and they went into the game. This is, it was the first litmus test and we absolutely blew them out of the park. So far this week, we've heard boo from Brisbane. Um, they've been very quiet. Even before the Richmond game this year, they were, they were talking it up a bit. They've been very, very quiet heading into this game. Uh, they haven't been at their best the last few weeks, but they've still managed to get the W. They really haven't beaten anyone inside the top four apart from Port Adelaide. Um so I reckon they're just in a, they're just stealing themselves to, to, to do a job here. And we're still too easy to score against going and like even Carlton, they had clear opportunities to score against us early, drop some easy marks, um, turn the ball over and miss some easy shots. And I don't think Brisbane are going to be missing those or, or I mean, well, we know that they have their accuracy issues, but um, it's, their four lines are a lot more dangerous than what we can cope with at the moment. And I know we're getting better and, what sort of stuff. But I just think Brisbane are way too strong for us. And Harris Andrews is have an absolute field day down back on some of our forwards. And I, 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 I suppose that um, probably Cameron goes out and, and another small comes in. Uh, who that is, I'm not sure. But, I, yeah, I, I worry about our midfield. Or our midfield will probably match up pretty good against them. I just worry about how our defence is going to hold up against their pretty strong four line and the, the fact that they're, they're, they're scoring a lot easier and able to score a lot, you know, the average scores a lot higher than ours. Hmm. So um, even though they've had a couple of woes the last two weeks of only scoring 50 points, they're capable of doing a lot more damage than that. So I just reckon that they're going to come out and probably win by five or six goals. And the only thing that stops them from doing that, I think is scoring accuracy. And so the big stat here for mine is that although their record against top, four sides has been poor. Brisbane has won the inside 50 count by six per game against top eight opposition this year. That's first in the league. So they get the looks. And if they finally bring that and regress to the mean, which will be an upwards regression and kick somewhere near 50%, they're going to be a very hard side to beat against anyone this year. And so I think they should account for Collingwood. The only problem with that though, is that you just can't trust that yet. They haven't had any games back to back where they've kicked somewhere efficiently. So that's my only real concern is that will accuracy cost them another game where the expected score says they should have dominated, but the actual score says you didn't get the four points. My last question to you about Collingwood, though, is you say that your midfield's going to kind of match up well against them, but what's happened to that set of bounds set up with Brody Grundy? So the last four rounds, you've recorded a set of bounds hit out to advantage differential of negative 9%, second last in the league. He hasn't been in great form, but his last quarter was bloody good. His yeah. second half really was good. I, I, he hasn't been as dominant this year. I don't know why what's going on with it, you know, he he hasn't missed a game for a long time. He's does a lot of ruck work. So whether he's a bit tired and we're probably 
you know, run him into the ground a bit like what Carlton have done to Patrick Cripps. I, I wonder whether if we're in a better position um, with ne- not needing to win games to qualify for finals, whether he'd probably have a rest. Um, and also, we haven't really had our number one midfield in there a lot. And we've got lots of different blokes going through the midfield because we've had a lot of injuries. So, you know, so Pendlebury's only back, only just got back. He's probably second or third game back. Adams has been a mainstay through there, but we haven't got Trelaw, haven't got Dugowie, um, and a few other names that would generally run steel style bottom. You know, those sort of blokes have run through there. So all of a sudden now you've got Elliot, um, Brown, um, Crisp, other sort of blokes rolling through that mid centre bounce. It's just going to take a while for them to get that chemistry going, I reckon. But um, and that's that's going to be bloody important at Brisbane because it, the gab out because uh, centre clearance means a uh, inside fifty. So it's something that we can definitely improve on, and I think hopefully with some more continuity with our team, that, that'll get better. Agreed. But I think you're sipping Brisbane for this one, though? Oh, yeah, 100%, yeah. A couple of upset alerts following on from those two games. Thursday, 4.40, Sydney are $3.25 outsiders against Melbourne, $1.35 favourites. They're playing at Kazali's Stadium. The line here is three goals, the over-under, 118. And on paper, on paper, this is an easy Melbourne win. Yep. But we know that these don't exist. <laughs> how does Sydney get the job done? Um, after the last two weeks from Sydney, I can't see how. Um, you take the tracker out. Um, the ruck, ruck, ruck's an issue. Midfield's an issue. Um, just genuine, genuine scoring for Sydney's an issue, especially with the four maze at the moment. So I can't see how um, Melbourne don't win this game. And at the line, it looks pretty tasty for me. I think Sydney are just... Um, but they'll still get things done and, and, and be competitive, but they probably won't be that competitive enough. We saw last week in the eight four; they're probably not up to that sta- up to the standard yet. And uh, yeah, I just think that the demons will get this job it, this done easily enough. But geez, uh, I do worry about how they so. Like I, I know it's a bit of an old sort of tune for mine, but for a club that hasn't done much, the way they celebrate and talk. About how they talk like they're one of the better clubs in the comp is just really concerning for mine and their their, their mindset in games. So um, hopefully they don't take that into this game and they just rock up and get the, and do what they need to do and get the job done and don't see a typical Melbourne performance. So interesting historical quirk though, the Swans have only lost twice against the D's in the last sixteen games, and the Swans beat the D's by fifty three points last year. And they're not that far off what they were last year. But, again, I wouldn't touch it. There are lots of good angles here for Sydney. They play a very good style of football. When it pays off, it pays off. But, again, Melbourne should win this. But I'm still very tempted. And if you've had a good weekend so far or a good midweek or you've got a spare 20 bucks at $3 plus, why not? Why not just barrack for Sydney on this night? But it would be a very much a barrack bet. Thursday, 7.10, GDOS are $1.54 favourites against Carlton, $2.50 outsiders. The location here is Metricon Stadium. The line here, two goals, the over-under, 122. Are the Blues going to kick the Giants out of finals football, Baz? Uh, no, I can't see how. There's still there's another game where they conceded five goals without um, responding and in a row. And going forward at the moment, they've got some concerns and Cripps, is obviously sore. I'll be surprised if he plays and if he does, he's going to go in pretty injured. Um, I just don't think their midfield's going to be anywhere near good enough. They went in really tall against us as we as we did as well. 
And I just don't think that'll suit against GWS who will, um, that front running over overlapping style game and getting it into that forward line quickly. If Riccardi and Cameron can back it up as well. Um, I saw Wiedemann had a bit of a knock as well on his calf and yeah, I'm, I'm all, I'm, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm all in on GWS in Melbourne this week, I reckon. Well, just going on form and, you know, the fact that Carlton, you know, started talking about finals and Cripps brought up the whole, um, you know, we're back, you know, screaming at the camera and in the change rooms and stuff like that. I think they got a bit ahead of themselves and they've, they've got a history of it, Carlton. So, yeah, it's probably a game they come out and bounce back. But at the moment, the way things are with Melbourne and GWS have so much on the line, they just can't go out and lose to these teams. And, and as you said, the Giants have played five good quarters now. So, or probably even six good quarters. They played two in the second half against West Coast and they played a good game against Fremantle. Whereas you look at the last four weeks for the Blues, they got done by the Eagles fairly convincingly. They scraped across the line against the Fremantle side, which is which is, which is battling. They took care of a Gold Coast side that was knackered and then they got done by a, by a Collingwood side um, that still isn't that good this year. So against admirable foe or equivalent foe of Collingwood, the Giants at the moment, you think the Blues will struggle. And they just give up too many easy mistakes. So, again, since rounds five, Carlton recorded disposal efficiency differential of negative 5%, which is ranked last in the league. They are worse at the footy than Adelaide and North Melbourne. Yeah. So when teams do that for you, when teams give you freebies, more often than not you win. Especially JWS. They will score against you on the counter mm. very, very quickly if they move the ball and do what they did last week. And we've got two tip and forget games now, Baz. Tuesday, the first game tonight, 5.40, Hawthorne $1.45 favourites against Adelaide, $2.75 outsiders at the Adelaide Oval. The line here is two goals, over under one twenty-four and a half. And this is the bottom four clash, and I think coming into last week we would have said Hawthorne wins this fairly convincingly, but is this where Adelaide gets their first win? Well, I said two weeks ago this would be the only chance Adelaide get a, a winning a game this year, mm. and it's – it's their chance to really, if they don't win this week, they're, they're done. They won't win a game for the year. Um, and I saw enough from Hawthorne to say that they should beat um, Adelaide tonight. And I've seen their ins for Hawthorne as well, which says that Hawthorne definitely do not want to lose to Adelaide tonight. And with what's going on at Adelaide over the last week or so, I don't think uh, they're in the right, right mind frame to be winning games. I actually don't mind the whole um, Rory Atkins thing, he's come out, he's joining Gold Coast. So they've sorted that out pretty quickly before the season's even done. Uh, it's happened at Fremantle as well where they've cut players, you know, before, you know, four or five weeks out from the season's end. It's it's good man management for mine and um, it's good on the player. He knows he's going to get a long-term future at Gold Coast. He's going to go up the Gold Coast for three or four years. He's not going to get that at the Crows and he's not going to be a chance winning a flag at the Crows the next three or four years. So, it's good that he's come out and done that, and it's good by the Crows as well. But, it's, again, just mixed messages from Matty Nix about Rory Atkins and why he left instead of being up front and honest. So, um, plus Tex Walker's probably at the door. And, you know, you got – yeah, just just screams of uh, problems at Adelaide at the moment. And when you've got someone like uh, Rashido trying to spark uh, rumours about Charlie Dixon instead of worrying about his own club, I think it says a lot. So, Hawthorne, get the job done, and that's it. We'll move straight on then. Wednesday, 7-10, Richmond are $1.12 favourites against the Dockers, $6.50 outsiders at Metricon Stadium, Richmond's second MCG. The line here is 30 points, the over-under 120. Big question here, Baz, Richmond and by how much? Uh, Richmond will win. I think the line's a bit generous, though. 
Well, I know, I know Fremantle average last week, but Fremantle have been pretty good this year, especially defensively. And I just reckon that they're going to uh, be a bit better than they were last week for over 31 points in, a sh- in shortened games over this season. I don't reckon there's been too many games where teams have won by five or six goals like that. So um, no bet for mine, but I reckon Richmond will win. But I'll just have a, have a look at that little uh, line bet if it's uh, still there. So on that, do you uh, pay any kind of um, – do you think there's any relevance in the West East Coast travel so Dockers are travelling across to the to the East Coast for the first time in eight weeks. Richmond have won all of their six games in Queensland in 2020. I think that's where you had the line sufficiency, especially if they were knackered last week, Fremantle. The, that cross-border flight is not uh, exactly rejuvenating by any means. Yeah, but I, I just reckon you'll see a bit more effort from Freya. I, I, look, don't get me wrong, Richmond will win. Yeah. Just I, I just that, that line at this year, I don't reckon there's been too many teams win by more than 30 points unless they're playing Adelaide or North. I reckon if you take away Adelaide or North, I reckon the average win margin would be no higher than 22, 23 points, which is probably something I might look into during the week. Favourite segment, Money Making Time, our feature bets for round 15. And Baz, lead us off with your best bet for the midweek footy action. My best bet is Liam Ryan to kick three plus goals tonight against Essendon at $3.40. Excellent stuff there. I've also got some action for the West Coast Essendon game. West Coast will win the first quarter plus West Coast head-to-head will give you $2 plus depending on your bookmaker of choice. And I'm going with that one because Essendon ranked 16th in Q1 performances this year. So expect a coast-to-coast win by the Eagles. What's your value action here, Baz? Value is West Coast, Melbourne, and Greater Western Sydney or the line in a multi gets you uh, $7.64 with a power play or $6.85 with that one. So West Coast, 12.5, Melbourne, 17.5, Greater Western Sydney, 11.5. Um, I like that, and that's where I'll be heading. Lovely. I'm heading to the Brisbane-Collingwood game for my value bet, and it's Brisbane to win the second quarter, Brisbane to lead at halftime, and Brisbane to win overall is paying $2.40. Uh, Brisbane uh, leading the comp in Q1 performances and first half performances, whilst Collingwood is yet to win a Q2 against any side in the top 12. Uh, and we think Brisbane will win in that overall as well. So that gives you a nice little value boost to get them to $2.40. Do you have any value or rough action here, Baz? No, that's it for me, mate. Yep. Those two will get me covered until uh, Friday or Saturday when you talk about what's happening on the weekend. Lovely stuff there. And if anyone is looking for some rough action, if you roll the first quarter being the highest scoring quarter in the Brisbane Collingwood game to the previous bet, you're looking at around about 8 or $9. And the reason for that is that those two teams are the best performing first quarter side. So we know that Collingwood likes to try and score early and then hang on. We know that Brisbane likes to jump out of the gates. So expect a first high scoring first quarter followed by a Brisbane Dominance, basically, is how I'm reading that game to play out. And for $9, it's worth a couple of cheeky bucks. All right, that's the end of our midweek chat about footy, but we'll be returning uh, either Saturday Saturday morning or Friday night to talk some more footy. But until then, Baz, stay safe.